welcome to Buenta Vista episode 91. Uh, I am Andrew. I will be your host for the evening. I'm standing up on a stage. There's a big bright spotlight on me. Wearing um, wearing a long, like tuxedo with the long tails. Like I'm about to do some, some concert peony. Mm. Uh, but there is no piano up here, so prepare to be disappointed. Um, motioning at me frantically from stage left, telling me to get off, get off the stage, is Ben. Hi, Ben. Hey. Can you come uh, out here and join me in the spotlight? <laughs> Can I, while I'm in the spotlight, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What, what was that word that you said? It had a lot of the same syllables as the word piano. Uh, I said peony. Is that like the noun form of the act of playing piano? Like archery is the act of doing archery. Probably could have thought of a better definition for that. Arching. Arching. The act of arching. Hmm. Is peony... The art of playing the piano? Uh, it's actually a reference to an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, god damn it. Where somebody says uh, in like a saloon, play piano. And then somebody starts playing and he said, that's peony. Oh. Or play piano, something, something like that. Something like that. Um, we're also joined, he's, he's just behind the big red velvet curtain that's behind me. You can see him shuffling around, struggling to get out. It's Theo. Hello, I'm so sweaty with anticipation. <laughs> I'm. I think you're not, sweaty not with coping. the weather. Mm, I'm not coping well with this. Uh, with this stage, even even as a hypothetical, <laughs> uh, <laughs> your <laughs> your mind makes it real. <laughs> he was currently stressed out in his own mind palace. <laughs> um, all those faceless, dark silhouettes down there, all looking up at you, Theo. And they're wondering, what's he going to say? You ever in, in your mind palace and all the walls start <laughs> closing in on you? That'd be great if you would try to be Sherlock Holmes and you were like, I'm just going to enter my mind palace. You closed your eyes for half a second. You just went, nope. No, no thanks. It's not, it's not no, working. Not it's for just, me. just like a dog barking in the <laughs> distance. Uh, it's not going well in your mind palace and it's really not helping. Yeah, your mind palace is just like a, a classic haunted house. It's just like, um, you know, the, the abandoned Michael Myers house from Halloween that he returns to. Cobwebs everywhere, holes through the drywall. Um, just just a bad vibe. Creaking floorboards. You keep hearing someone walking around upstairs, even though you are sure that there's no one else in the mind palace with you. Oh, this is like in the movie Dreamcatcher. Oh, <laughs> a lot of mind palaces in that movie. Uh, well, and aliens was shooting kind of, out of assholes. I thought there was like one one mind palace in that movie. Yeah, pretty much. But um, also there's an alien in the mind palace. Mm. I think Mr. Grey, he goes in the mind palace. Am I wrong? He does. No, he, he goes into the mind palace with him, talks to him. Mm. Um, well, that's, yeah, because he, he, Mr. Grey keeps uh, Jonesy. Is that his name? Couldn't um, tell you. I'm pretty sure the I exhausted name is my knowledge of the name of the characters after Mr. Gray. Um, I'm pretty sure that he he takes over his body and is oh, keeping him trapped in his own mind. He does palace. that now, big rictus grin on the snowmobile. That's it. Um, another another big time mind palace movie, The Cell. You know what? I was just thinking about The Cell yesterday. Never seen mm. it, but really? I do love The Fall, also directed by Tasim Singh. Oh, imagine the fall, but with a plot, you know. Did you see um what was the what was the other one that he made? Um, oh no, Immortals. Oh, 
Was that also him? I was thinking of that horrible one that he did about becoming young again with Ryan Reynolds in it. Oh my goodness. Um, no, so so the cell the cell was like his big breakout, and it's where um, Vincent D'Onofrio plays a notorious serial killer um, who has been captured, but in the course of being captured, he is rendered comatose, um, and they use some fancy technology to project Jennifer Lopez into his mind palace to try and figure out um, where his remaining still alive captive victims are. And his mind palace is all just, um, it's all basically like uh, if if Tarzan Singh was doing um, like Nine Inch Nails videos, you know? Mm. I mean, that sounds uh, so, good. Yeah, yeah, uh, great visuals, great stuff. Um, if you can think of any other great Mind Palace related movies, please drop an email to heyyouguys at puntavista.com. Um, I'm sure we could rattle off several more if we wanted to. So I tell you what, folks, it's easy in this day and age to just want to retreat in your own Mind Palace, unless you are Theo. Because uh, there's a lot of bad news out there. I'm sure that's everybody's very aware at this point of the horrifying shooting that took place in Christchurch in New Zealand um just incredibly bleak horrible shit um and like a lot of things that have happened in America over the last couple of years was seemingly perpetrated by a super online right wing shit poster who while obviously having you know uh significant mental illness type issues uh, has also managed to accelerate that hugely by by just radicalizing themselves with 4chan and YouTube and shit like that really horrible stuff uh, this person went into uh, mosques in Christchurch and killed 50 people uh, 50 Muslim people who were all worshipping um, and injured another 50 just just the most horrible shit. I don't know if either of you can could say anything more eloquent about it than that, but that's kind of as much detail as I would like to go into of the actual act itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, horrible stuff. There, there were live streams and things that happened because that's the fucking Black Mirror hellscape that we live in. My, I, so my first acquaintance was that with this was, I had opened up Twitter and before I even saw news reports of what was going on the first thing that I saw was someone tweeting the 8chan thread of mm. of what was going on uh, so that that before I had seen any other reports before I saw, saw anything I had clicked on this link and I saw the guy's first post you know, where he was like, this is the link to the manifesto, this is linked to the Facebook live stream, I'm going in. And then all I saw was just an endless sea of comments of people sort of cheering this guy on. And, and, and that, that was what was the first thing that I saw. And then I, I perversely got news links from that thread from people being like, holy shit, this guy's serious. Uh, not in a way in which they thought it was bad. Uh, so that that was, I think, maybe 
outside of seeing the video by mistake or whatever maybe one of the worst ways to come across this yeah uh, it was a very bleak day i had a very as i'm sure a lot of people did a very 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 horrible time uh yeah, yeah. very disheartening to see something like that happen and to immediately have the the first responses from other people be to it to be uh, enthusiasm yeah, yeah fucking galling and that's that's what's what i suppose is like this this thing that we keep coming back around on with all of this which is that people who frequent all these sites like 4chan and 8chan and like even things like um like live leak and like i know that all sorts of shit gets posted on those sites but literally all sorts of shit as in this kind of stuff too um you know the the worst parts of reddit and twitter and all that sort of stuff is that all of it people always want to try and act like it's all shit posting and irony and all that sort of stuff but it's always just so easy to find people like you're saying just just seemingly clearly giving full-throated endorsements of this kind of shit cheering it on egging each other on um to be involved with it you know i mean what one of the things that i guess you know, I, I really found myself thinking about a lot in the wake of all of this is is exactly the kind of internet culture that has gotten us to this point. And so much of it is is a thing that we've spoken about before, which is the tendency of the far right when crafting and attempting to mainstream these ideas to always build in some part of it which they feel gives them plausible deniability. Um, you know, I, I think back to like the the times that we've spoken about like um in australian media and and australian like right-wing twitter and stuff people who are obsessed with like halal certification and it's very clear to everyone that it's just founded in islamophobia um and it's founded in just just not wanting like anything associated with this this different kind of person to be a visible part of your life but everybody always winds up you know like retreating back to the same thing of oh it's not about racism and it's not about islam it's about it's about like taxes or this kind of certification it's about paying for a certification i mean you know you don't see any of these people like circulating shit for years on end about the heart smart tick it's not racist i just believe that anytime a brown person buys meat it buys a rocket launcher for isis yeah, that's it. And you also barely need to scrape the idea of why they object to this type of certification being paid for by somebody because they think that this money is all getting fucking funneled to all this sort of stuff. And and that's just, yeah, that, that to me is just what so much of this shit is. It's just this plausible deniability. It's just wanting to wanting to say all this shit and mainstream all these views and yeah i mean you don't have to go any further than the you know white power okay signed right which yeah, is exactly example. from where where you we were saying where the whole thing has been built with plausible deniability like let's just give a totally innocent sign 
uh, meaning. And, you know, obviously, if, if anyone calls us on it, we just say that it's an okay thing. And it's always been about white, white supremacy from the very start. But the point is that it has gone totally uncritically judged by the media, like so much of this stuff, right? So, so the media has just blasted past it, um, you know, blasted past all of the fucking cast of thousands that have, you know, journeyed to Australia for their um, racism tours, you know, like Milo and um, all the rest. And, uh, and now we end up in a courtroom with a guy after a massacre giving the fucking okay sign, right? Because that's what it is. Well, I mean, you you can look at the photos of... There's the photo of him doing that to the camera as he is being arraigned in a court for doing this massacre. And then you can look at the photos of Lauren Southern and her entourage, which is... And and her entourage itself is is pulled from, like, an Australian fucking racist lad society thing. And her and all of them are all ostentatiously doing the symbol mm-hmm. and then you look at like the the national the young liberal and young national party photos where all of them again they're all holding their hand up and doing this thing with the camera no like nobody's even doing it the way you would fucking do the this thing's okay right, that that's right it's sort of symbol, it's a halfway it's, between it's, an okay sign and the uh circle below, below your waist to get someone to look at so you can punch them right but it's, like it's, but it's so yeah every one of them they're, they're all holding it up at shoulder height out projected out from their body it's it's all so so clearly designed to be seen and interpreted as what it is and yeah we so we just have this whole thing and like what what this got me to thinking about was I think that what's what's really gone super pear-shaped and what has fucked everyone up so badly is how successful the right and the far right in this country and in other countries has been in mainstreaming the idea that there are certain topics about which you cannot say to people, I, I refuse to entertain this with yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, and it's all under the guise of free speech and open debate and mm-hmm. civilized debate and all that sort of shit. But... You know what I what I find myself thinking about is is much much like the reaction that we've had to the F- Fraser Anning stuff in the wake of this, where you know there's people who act like saying as as he did as a fucking elected senator in Australia said he he basically blamed the victims of this shooting and said oh he, well, he tweeted. Nor- yeah, this, uh, does anyone doubt now uh, the dangers of um, multiculturalism? Is that right? Um, oh, he was, he was tweeting out all kinds of shit. He was talking about the, the link between Islam and violence. He was, he was talking about how it's, it's normally those people who are the perpetrators of this stuff. And... Which is not true, by the way. That's as we've covered. That is one hundred percent not true. The perpetrators of terrorism in the world today, as we know it, are the far right. That is, you know, statistically, um, it's it's not. You can't go past that, right? Like, um, and and now we uh, we are where we are, right? For for that for that reason, where we um, look upon people that are just everyday normal people going about their lives praying doing this doing this stuff and because we're so obsessed with having the conversation 
right? We've got to have a conver- conversation about Islam, right? We've got to have a conversation about how violent these people are. Like, no, no, that's, that's, not, that's not true. You can just say, that's not true. Fuck off, right? We don't have to have this conversation every well, morning and, on and like Channel 7. This is the thing. This is, this is where I wound up getting with this was um, this idea that, yeah, there, there are... There are these particular topics now where, like like in the case of Fraser Anning, there are people out there, honest to God, making the case that telling this guy to shut the fuck up and calling him a racist is, mor- him. Is, is morally equivalent to him saying all these people who got massacred had it coming and they probably shouldn't have been in one of our countries. Which, is a, which is a point that Peter Dutton, you know, a front yes. bench minister, made... The, 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 the hard left and the hard right are, are just are as bad as just each other. Just as bad as each other. And, and like, it, yeah, it just, it just got me to thinking about how, yeah, there is this obsession with the conversation and hearing both sides and all this sort of stuff. And you can't just say to people anymore, this thing you're saying is fucked up and abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Shut the fuck up and take that somewhere else. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and I was thinking, like, like we, we do have things in our society which everybody share, shares this attitude about, right? Yeah, if you, well, if you went online, everybody. right, if you popped onto Twitter or popped on Facebook or whatever and would be like, you know, um, I find kids attractive, right? Like, you would be just hounded off, right? Like, well, as you like should I, be. Yeah, that was, that was my, my first thought as well, was like, you know, if you were, if you were walking around um, on the street in Sydney with a, like, Die Hard with a Vengeance-style sandwich board, um, that says yeah. like that said, I love fucking eight year olds. Yep. Um, you would be accosted about this very quickly. Yes. People would very quickly make clear to you that this is not acceptable dialogue, behavior, discourse, whatever you would like in the society that we live in. And wh- the conclusion that I wound up coming to with this is that basically what the right has been extremely successful in doing is basically just short-circuiting our society's ability to moderate itself when it comes to this topic because that is what like like this this whole thing of like oh well you know if you if you call someone a racist that's just oh you you're being really horrible to them and you're you're labeling them and you that's basically a slur all this who's the real racist now who's the real racist you You have to have the conversation with them you have to hash all this shit out and and like when, the, like, the idea is that if somebody is exhibiting, like, fucking awful behavior in a public place and everybody around them says, no, collectively, as a community, as a people, we don't accept this behavior yeah. and we want it driven out of the place that we're in, that is literally a society. That is your society coming together and establishing cultural norms, establishing acceptable behavior acceptable ways of speaking to and treating each other we have all this other fucking dialogue around like as as hollow as it is often coming from politicians and members of the government and everything you know like think of the think of the thing they kept trotting out all the time about domestic violence when um i can't remember who was prime minister at the time it might have been gillard or or abbott but the thing they kept trotting out all the time was the the standard you walk past is the standard you accept you know, mm. saying if if you just let a thing go without calling it out, you're effectively accepting that thing. If you let a thing go without saying, this is unacceptable and I'm not going to let you do this, that you are accepting that thing. 
but apparently we just have this entire category of discourse and and language about members of our community and our society that we can't do that with. Yeah, and and I think you, I think you're right. And like I don't want to distract too much from the main issue, right? But something that previous to this previous to this week, um, I have been thinking about a lot is dealing with, for example, climate change denialism, right? Because I believe that's another thing that we shouldn't accept into in society. And I think until now, right. Much like, much like this same issue, much like racism, um, we have dealt with it in a way, um, in a in a way that we would consider to be rationalisation, right? Where we are having the conversation, we're going, well, no, you know, numbers show, and blah, blah, blah. and they say, well, well, here's our numbers, right? Like if you look at our graph, right, which is definitely not cherry picked, and our graph um, which has you know, no axes, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they've got a line of best fit uh, that doesn't go anywhere near any of the points in there that's right that shows it's clearly going down right then you just get in this big quagmire where people are like oh well you know there's facts on both sides when what we should be doing i believe and feel free to to go online and yell at me feel free to email me and say that i'm i'm wrong um i am not uh i I think with all of these things that we that, that we talk about it's important to to signal when we don't have any skin in the game right so if you've got skin in the game and you uh about about certain issues that we're talking about and you disagree please you know feel free to let us know but if you take the example hey you guys yeah that's right but take the example for climate change denialism right for um in the last month or so or two months or so i have stopped talking to these people and i have started going hey shut the fuck up Shut your fucking mouth, right? Because that is the reaction now that we should be providing. That is where we are in society, I believe, that the, um, the perpetrators of this kind of misinformation, the kind of misinformation that gets people killed, right? The your anti-vax stuff, um, mm. your, your garden variety racism um, should not be engaged with, I don't believe. It should be just hounded out right and if you go to a thread on twitter where that has effectively happened there's no conversation happening because it's not a conversation that we need to have it is a conversation that we have had time and time and time and time and time again going off like decades and decades and decades we can still you know you can have this conversation until you're blue in the face it's not a conversation that we should be having because it shouldn't be a conversation that you have to have in a polite society. Um, you should just uh, tell Chris Kenny to go fuck himself because he's an idiot. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, I truly think that that is, that is like the crowning achievement of the right wing over the last decade or two is, is just clawing back this ground on issues where, you know, like where we all thought we were doing better, mm-hmm. you know? And instead, we've created this environment of, like we said, everything must be debated, every conversation must be entertained. And you can see, like, it's so transparent, you can see it in in even the material that the right wing produces. Like, what what is, what is every fucking Ben Shapiro b- video about? It's about debating someone. Mm. It's about destroying them with your facts and logic. These hysterical leftists that are just, uh, you know, 
just screaming the whole time about this and this and that and how easily they can be torn apart with with facts and logic where um you know it's quite clear that they can be calm and whatever because you know it's not something that they that affects their life it's not not something that even that they have to deal with but he literally has a book named how to debate leftists and Mm -hmm. destroy them where again the entire premise it's not about yeah none none of it's about like actually being right or how the thing that you believe in or doing will improve society or make anybody's life better or anything like that it's about here are here are rhetorical traps that you can set for people here are semantic ways to to force somebody to accidentally agree with a thing that you've said or uh-huh. whatever the fuck and it's all just the most bad faith shit and that's why it doesn't need to be engaged with in any kind of honest way because at the end of the day i think that people who read a fucking book like that and get online and start banging away at people to them having you engage in a in a fucking 11 hour long back and forth as you come back to your phone every 20 minutes and go oh this fucking idiot yeah and reply to them again your blood's just boiling that is the point for them yeah The, the point isn't that they think that you're going to the point isn't that they think that you're going to like you know see this and go you know what this guy's got me he's really got me over a big barrel of logic he's got mm. me a the the barrel it's it's just chock full of logic it's got logic painted on the side in big red letters and i am over it and boy let me tell you i'm here to renounce all of my my beliefs my ideology you know my my attempts to make the world a better place i'm going to renounce all of this because you know i feel like this guy painted me into a corner with his logic and like like i said i I think that that is the point the point is to fucking waste people's time to engage them in this bad faith bullshit and ideally in a best case scenario to make this person seem foolish to other people who agree with you. And, and, and also... To and yes, we all do that. We all... <laughs> yeah. We all do this kind of thing online. But, like... But, yeah, for, like... I I try so hard, like you're saying, to just not actually get into any kind of, like, genuine attempt to change anybody's mind when it's so transparent that none of it is in good faith. Yeah, and, and like, but I think the other half of that is that the things that they're saying over and over again are slowly normalized, right? Every time that you're having these debates, every time that someone's like, uh, you know, um, well, I think that all Muslims are actually responsible for the moon exploding. Yeah, um, and you go, well, I think you'll find. Well, yeah, like- we, can, we can point to facts and do that. And someone hears, right, oh, all Muslims are... They're actually responsible for the moon exploding. I heard about that. I heard about how they're responsible for the moon exploding, right? Um, and it's something that slowly sinks in like a poison to our society, to our discourse, and slowly filters down to the people that aren't able to filter, um, that aren't able to sift what's real and what's not because they don't have the time or they're, they're also in bad faith or it plays to their prejudices. Um, and it slowly becomes normalized. And I think that, like, nowhere have we seen that more evidently is how, you know, a year ago, we were all having the discussion around Richard Spencer getting fucking knocked, right? Getting his mm. block knocked off 
and seeing Nazis get punched in the streets. It was a uh, an absolute bumper crop of Nazis getting punched. Uh, and well, we had we had the debate. Sorry, you go. Well, I was going to say we we had the debate, and we also had the the complete like. Uh, recession of of Richard Spencer from public life. We saw the the leaked things where he was like, "Well, I I just don't think that I can make a movement when I can't go out of go the out. house without yeah. being fucking hounded in the street and punched in the face by people." That's right, and and people like you know, um, black people and Muslims and and uh, have come out and said, "No, look, this is like the free marketplace of ideas is bullshit, right? This is um, honestly uplifting." Um, but the the press are not interested in having that debate, right? Not even not even the ones on the right that are that are again like the worst kind of debate lord shitheads. Um, but the centrist press um, being like, well, you know, if you're punching a Nazi, who's to say who's right? What's what's wrong? But then what has happened in the wake of um, this horrible event in Christchurch? is that the Australian press have taken the question of is it okay to assault a Nazi? And then we've seen with Fraser Anning getting egged, just take the assault part out, right? And just be like, oh, is it okay to uh, a Nazi? And it turns out for a lot of them, uh, no, it's not okay to uh, slightly uh, a Nazi, right? That it's is okay to inconvenience It's a not Nazi. okay to inconvenience a Nazi at a fucking room full of Nazis, which broke up a Nazi meeting, right, because of, um, uh, uh, Ben, help me out. What's the, what it's, what's it because of? I'm not sh- What? Um, what's the reason? Why are we not doing this? Not doing what? Hmm. Egging and, mm. There's a there's a reason. Nazis and I'm, blasting I, them in the fucking face. Uh, uh, it's hard uh, to remove from your thinning Nazi hair. Is that... <sighs> I think, I mean, obviously people that are aware of what happened are probably aware of this, but it is so important to stress that just before the egging happened, one of his fucking huge steroid-addicted Nazi henchmen described the shooter as one of the younger generation taking up the fight, Uh, which Anning agreed to with the sole caveat that he was a bit on the crazier side, but yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Taking up the fight now, and, and there are people lo- that are like fucking just blinded by flop sweat, umming and ahhing about whether whether getting a bit of egg on him from a fucking seventeen-year-old is who got his fucking acceptable. shit kicked in. By the way, there's like, and this is, you know, I, I think there have been some relatively valid criticisms that we have been very quick to really hold young Will Connolly, aka Egg Boy, up over some of the truly amazing stories of the people that were were at the mosque. Uh, and that's fair, but at the same yeah, time... Yeah, I, I think that's very much worth repeating as well, that, that this, is, this should and always should be about the tragedy that occurred there. And this is a distraction, but it is a... He still um, did good, I think. Plato- it's, yeah, it's a yeah, it's it's a good distraction. Yeah, well, you know, in the face of, I would have been fucking terrified. I've seen these fucking dipshits oh, yeah. before, and they are huge. They are terrifying. They are training every single goddamn day to kill you, and 
this guy got fucking nearly choked out by five of them and his face barely moved. He, like, he just... I, I, I can't... It's truly amazing. And again, and, uh, like, you know, obviously this is nothing compared to... You know, there, there's... Um, I was listening to uh, the New York Times podcast interviewed... Uh, one of the survivors of the shooting who was a, a man who was in a he was in a wheelchair because he got hit by a drunk driver and his wife was at the mosque and his wife led uh, a bunch of the, the women out of the mosque safely while the shooting was happening and came back in to get him and ended up you know she ended up dying she was shot and killed uh, there, there was another guy who uh basically ran at the shooter with an FPOS machine because it was the only weapon around him he could find. There was another guy that I think threw an empty rifle that the man had discarded at his car when uh, at the, the shooter's car when he went to drive away. Or at yeah, least and that got get, him to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Well, he went to get more guns from his car and that got the shooter to drive away. Uh, there was, you know, obviously the... There was the story about the the greeter at the mosque who was the first who was shot and killed who saw the man standing there with the weapons and just said, welcome, brother, to this man. You know, there are these all these amazing stories here and it's from these incredible people. So it's it's a silly thing to focus on a 17-year-old dropping an egg on an aging fuckwit's head, but it's not to say what he did wasn't good and it wasn't brave, but... Yeah, it's it's in a. I I guess contextually though, like from from the specific Australian perspective, what um, I'm completely agreeing with everything you're saying there. By the way, um, from from the specific Australian perspective, I think that this whole this whole series of events has seemingly made a lot of people suddenly just kind of wake up and start asking some pretty pertinent questions and these Qu- extend questions from which um we sh- should point out as as plenty of people have pointed out that the muslim community have been loudly asking on absolutely. every format every public uh you know outlet possible for many 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 years yeah and and it just seems like this is a thing that there that there is that large kind of uh, center of the country, I suppose, like the 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 large portion of the country that we can assume is reasonably disengaged with the media and politics. Um, but I think that there are there are a bunch of people who are normally not super interested who are suddenly kind of saying, yeah, have have maybe a bunch of things gone way too far? Has has our country? spent the last two decades like just consistently ramping up um like anti anti muslim anti immigrant rhetoric f- for votes um of course the answer is very obviously yes but i think the people have finally been st- like starting to turn around and ask some more pointed questions of politicians and i guess a lot of the the media coverage in this country and so so obviously we have our more much more right wing commentators like Miranda Devine and Andrew Bolt who we've talked about on this show uh, a bunch of times but it's worth noting even though the things so like if you're if you're not an Australian listener even though the things that we talk about with these people are 
well fucked up, right? The things that they write on a regular basis. It's also worth noting that these people are published, like, daily in all of the, all of the, like, most widely read papers in all of the major cities in this country. Yeah, Andrew and Bolt is, I believe, the single most prolific columnist in the country, and every single one of his columns is is published, uh, you know, through one of Australia's biggest news websites. Well, I mean, it's syndicated across all of the well, news exactly. corp websites. It's, it's syndicated through like all of the all of the um, tabloid type dailies, the Daily Telegraph, the Herald Sun, um, all of those news corp papers. In Queensland, we we barely have an alternative. Um, it's yeah. very difficult to to name any sort of paper. Um, that is Queensland-based, um, that that does not syndicate these kinds of viewpoints. It's the Courier Mail or nothing, basically. Yeah, what, what have we got? The, the byline. We've like, got the Courier Mail, we've got the Sunshine Courier Coast Mail. Daily, yeah. the, whichever, the, the Gold Coast something, the Cairns Post. Bulletin? Yeah, Gold Coast Bulletin. And they're yeah. all news, co- uh, news corp papers that all largely recycle the same content between them. We don't have... An alternative to those at all. This is what people so, are reading. Yeah, and and to give you, I guess, to give you the context for this thing that I am about to read out, Andrew Bolt's, um, all of Andrew Bolt's columns, and when whenever they have like a a um, uh, what do you call it? Whenever he has like a little cutout in, on the front page of the newspaper, they always put as his byline Australia's most widely read columnist. Hmm. That is that is what they are constantly referring to him as, the most read columnist in the country. Australia's so, most convicted racist columnist. Correct. So you know Andrew Bolt has spent the last few days um, writing much much like many of these columnists um, have spent the last few days being extremely defensive um, and doing a lot of work to try and distance the the writings of themselves and the stuff that gets published in the outlets that they are in. Um, so Andrew, Andrew Bolt has a, an editorial from his show up on his blog today that says, I have a message by the, for the tribalists trying to force us to pick sides after the Christchurch massacre. No, I reject both sides. I reject violence. I reject the enemies of civility and debate. And I stand, we all stand, with the victims of Christchurch and the victims of all preachers of hatred. Now, here's something that somebody else dug up of his from a year or two ago. Here's the, uh, the praise of his article here. This is from July 20th, 2016, on the very same blog. If our politicians will not speak frankly and protect us from Islam, watch out for a civil war. A frightened public will not put up for this for much longer and will defend themselves. Here, yes, that ugly day has not dawned, and let us pray it never does, but in France, God knows how soon non-Muslim vigilantes will take them, will themselves take up arms. Who could blame them? Who could blame people for taking arms against Muslims? Like, this, this is just normalized mainstream content in Australia. The idea that that immigrants and Muslims are a threat to our way of life, that they are not to be trusted, 
um, that that their every goal is just to n- normalize normalize their religion and their culture, which we shouldn't trust, and of course that their eventual goal is to replace us, um, as is laid out in this other article of his from August second, twenty eighteen, headlined "The Foreign Invasion." Australia is being swamped by non-English-speaking immigrants who refuse to assimilate and accept our values. In the face of this influx, we are losing our identity. Now, it's my understanding that the, that the shooter from Christchurch um, had a manifesto. Um, it is also my understanding that it's, it's riddled with things where he's, he's basically just trolling the media about stuff. But the broad cut and thrust of it is this very narrative. It's this idea of white white culture is superior, and we are slowly being being replaced through there's, immigration. There's even the, there's the a term for it now that they've taken up, which is the, the great, great replacement. replacement. And it's it's like I think it's a great example of um, things that that the the right on more, uh, online kind of um, HN poisoned people have very much, very much taken up and, and memeified, right? So the great replacement um, as a as a concept, just like so many of these other concepts, but it's not something that that's rooted from in that, and not something that's come out of that. It's something that's very much rooted in mainstream media, mainstream kind of um, uh, reporting. And you, the problem is that you don't have to walk very far away from that at all. To arrive at that destination of of far right extremism is the the gap is extremely small. Well, I, like like I said, I I don't think there is a gap in this particular case. In the case, no, of, in the where you'd say, well, look, you know, if you were to, you know, who could blame you? And it's like, oh, that's that's one of the fucking most ghoulish things that. I have heard in a very long time, and it's just something that you write apparently as a um, as a columnist. It's so. something that an editor reads and says, "Okay, no, here's that's your paycheck." Fine. Like the, but but again, in the specific language of of you know the the great replacement, the foreign invasion, our identity being replaced, like from Andrew Bolt to Miranda Devine to Lauren Southern to to the proper nutters like this shooter like let's let's all think of the fucking charlottesville unite the right rally what were all those guys with the tiki torches chanting you will not replace us or was it the jews will not replace they chanted both but yes i'm sure they switched it up but again it's all just the same narrative and the fact that the same type of shit that these like open neo-nazis write about on 4chan and chant at their at their neo-nazi rallies is the same kind of stuff that is being written by as the paper itself will tell you australia's most widely read columnist is a serious fucking problem in this country and i feel like people are finally starting to ask some questions and and possibly even suggest that maybe these organizations should be accountable for some of the views that they are pressing and like I said, there's been a lot of extreme defensiveness about this and, it, and like attempts to for, by people to distance themselves from it. 
um, a lot of expressions, a lot of like immediate expressions of solidarity and support um, and sorrow for the victims and injured and everything, um, which lasted about 12 hours before immediately um, swinging back at whiplash-inducing speeds to, you know whose fault this really is, the left. Um, it's the left who, who drive these people to do this stuff. It's the left who are being political opportunists by pointing out that the people who commit these acts saturate themselves in these particular media sources, so on and so forth. And something that has popped up in the media, uh, something that has continued to resurface, is a report from 2011 about current Prime Minister Scott Morrison who at the time was the shadow immigration minister, um, I believe just before the ascent of Tony Abbott to the prime ministership, um, if that's correct. And the, the substance of the report is that a bunch of shadow cabinet ministers basically leaked that at this meeting, um, Scott Morrison had suggested that there was that there was anti anti-Muslim sentiment in the community, and that that should be leveraged for votes. Basically, that sound right, guys? It yeah. sounds about an apt description to me. Sounds about accurate. So, um, I believe the way it was put was that like a handful of people who were there con- um, confirmed. Uh, to Lenore Taylor from The Guardian, who wrote the original piece when she was at uh, the Sydney Morning Herald at the time. Uh, They confirmed to her the veracity of the report, and a couple of people denied it. Um, Since then, she says that all of her original sources have stuck by that reporting, um, and a bunch of them went on to give the same account to other journalists. So, this has basically been resurfacing in the wake of all of this stuff and has been getting tied into the question of how far has our, our, our government, our current government, been going in deliberately demonizing and othering Muslims and immigrants and Muslim immigrants um, for the cause of, you know, just whipping up votes, dog whistling, all that sort of thing. Um, clearly, this is causing some panic with the Prime Minister. Uh, There is a show on Channel 10 called The Project, which is just like a a panel news current events kind of show. Um, I don't really watch it, although I have watched a few snippets from the previous week. Um, Host uh, Walid Ali, who is Muslim, um, gave uh, an editorial, a piece to camera, whatever you like, um, in the wake of the shooting, in which he basically just... Uh, laid out, you know, the the country's recent history with this kind of stuff and how that makes the Muslim population of this country feel. And, you know, it very much came across to me as him just being pretty open and honest about his own feelings and, again, just asking for some of these questions to be asked. In the course of this, he referred to this report from 2011 Um and, and said, you know, apparently a shadow cabinet minister said this and is now the most, po- most powerful politician in the country. Uh, that thing, I think, went, went pretty viral on, like, Australian social media. Um, got a lot of support. Apparently, according to a producer from the project, um, immediately after this segment 
started doing the rounds, he was phoned by a furious, um, furious media advisor or like media chief of staff or whatever um, to the prime minister who suggested to him that the comments were potentially defamatory, um, that they should take it down and apologize publicly to the prime minister. Um, the project declined to do so. Now, I found myself saying about this online that, um, like, we, we can all agree, right, that, that mentioning that something is, is defamatory or potentially defamatory, unless you are being incredibly generous, there is no way to interpret this other than attempted intimidation, right? Yeah, you never call some up and, someone up and say, hey, that, uh, that thing you said was super defamatory. Well, cool. Have a good one. It's always with a, an implication. Well, I found myself to re- remarking to somebody that, like, you know, I th- I think I I was having a I was having a, an extremely mild um, debate with somebody who I think is a lawyer, who was saying, um, oh, you know, well, maybe the, this this has been reported third hand. Maybe the person said defamation, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they said it, but they don't actually understand what it means. That sort of thing. And I said, look, I'll, I'll agree that I think that people all over the country on a very regular basis would tell somebody that they are unhappy with that something is libelous or slander or defamatory without necessarily knowing like the legal definition of that term or having a, any real intention to follow through on the claim in court. But I think that the one thing that all those things have in common is that people only mention that shit when they want to scare somebody off of saying something. And also those people are not the Prime Minister of Australia. Yeah, yeah, that too. Well, I'm just just saying, I think that at all levels that this kind of thing is mentioned, you know, it's the same reason that, like, it's the same reason um, that, that, like, people people send bills and notices and contracts and shit to people and they like they frame them as though they're a last notice and you're gonna have to go to court and all that sort of shit like 95% of the time none of that stuff has any legal standing they do it with the intention of scaring the shit out of people Mm -hmm. and making them go like I think a lot of the time it's intended to make people just second guess themselves and say ooh if I ooh if I if I go to court I don't know how this is gonna work out for me um but that's so, not- so to me, to me, that's the only purpose of saying that is in the hopes that the project would have gone, holy fuck, we can't get sued for defamation by the Prime Minister of Australia. Um, we'd better pull this thing. Better pull the plug on this thing. Absolutely. But that is not what has happened. Um, that is not what has happened. Instead. The, yeah. Well, they, they add that other piece by um, Hamish MacDonald. That's right. Um, where he did another piece to camera in which he said... You know, Walid Ali gave gave this piece. Uh, the Prime Minister's office called and said that it was defamatory and that we should apologise. We are not doing that. So they've they've then just dropped the the threat of defamation and agreed to come on the show for an interview. Can we talk about the uh, the thing they raised? Uh, what that Hamish wit- raised in the. Uh, piece of camera about Greg Hunt because that is uh, a small delightful thing to happen in a sea of bullshit 
oh yeah yeah how um how was this the thing about how uh so like what one of the one of the notable things about this to me is that again as as you as you said earlier on theo a lot of things in australian um political media are allowed to just go by unchallenged a lot of things um, in so many instances, politicians are allowed to basically set the terms of their own conversations, make claims, um, just make claims as statements, have them go by completely unchallenged, and it's it's all just like free press for them. You know, it's like free distribution of their fucking pamphlets. It's not even like an interview. Um, however, I feel like a lot of uh, political journalists have really been sticking with this story about the report of wanting to, wanting to pursue like an an anti an anti-muslim uh political strategy and there's there's been like you know th- maybe three different press conferences before this interview with Walid Ali where Scott Morrison has been asked point blank did you or did you not propose this thing in a in a shadow cabinet meeting in 2011. And it, it's, it's worth noting that the, uh, the original author of the report, uh, is it Lenore Taylor? Lenore Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, who is now editor of The Guardian and at the time was writing for the Sydney Morning Herald. She's, she's stuck still by standing the, by it? She's stuck by the story. The, the multiple sources that gave her the story in the first place are all still sticking by it. So it's not like this was just some sort of random hearsay. Uh, and so it's, it's been repeatedly taken to the Prime Minister and then... Well, he's he's repeatedly given flat denials as well, right? Like in in a way in which the, there is no there is no wiggle room yeah. or anything, and it, like for some reason it keeps making me like really nervous every time a new person says to him. So the report was this, and did you say that? And he goes, "I absolutely didn't." I keep expecting someone to just say, "Okay, well we've got the tape." from this thing because like this shit has happened before but it's just it's the extent to which people are just asking him point blank and he is point blank giving a black and white response and i think it's maybe the so fact unusual. that they don't habitually record shadow cabinet meetings is maybe why he's so confident that he can flat out deny it uh but we were lucky enough to have uh samantha maiden from the new daily uh who as a few people did uh spotted a very pertinent report to all this from at the time. So one of the people that Morrison rolled out in his defence was fuckwit MP Greg Hunt, who categorically that's his official title, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, he's... Sorry, his uh, folio is... Minister uh, for fuckwittery. Yes. Um, he said, I was there. I categorically deny that he said this. And then in a press conference yesterday... The day before yesterday, uh, Samantha Maiden from the New Daily said, uh, Greg Hunt has said that you did not say this. Scott Morrison very perkily says, yes, that's on the record. He said it on the record. On the record. <laughs> on the record. Uh, and then <laughs> Samantha Maiden from the New Daily says, that's interesting because Greg Hunt went on the radio, on ABC radio in 2011 and said, I was not in that meeting. Uh, and then Scott Morrison mature grown adult packs up all his shit in a little fucking bag and storms <laughs> out of the press conference just said well 
I've answered the question. Goodbye. Uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> fuck me dead. Uh, I that's am all for me, and that's to... also from all from you. So I'm shut go- up. Gonna move sideways like a tap dancing crab, <laughs> staring at the ground, bawling my fists. Goodbye. So, so since then, since then, I believe that like several more of the people that he said backed him up, like um, Philip. Rud- he said Philip Ruddock was there, who is uh, 150 years own- old. He is 150 years old and has only said, "I don't recall <laughs> whether he said it." Um, so, so yeah. Again, all of this is all of this is just feels kind of unusual to me. It feels it feels a bit out of the ordinary for people to be like repeatedly hammering um, such a senior politician about this thing where they've just they've just kind of given a non-answer and said they didn't say it. Normally, I feel like a lot of Australian journalists would just leave it alone. They go, "Oh, well, he said no. What else are we meant to do?" <laughs> but like, yeah, the, the people have kind of they've kept on it, and I, I think he's really feeling the pressure about it because not only did they make you know the veiled defamation threat to the project, but they then pulled out of that and said, "Okay, we're going to do a one-on-one interview with the Walid Ali," and that aired tonight. And I I don't know what he thought was going to happen. But it's not what actually happened. Well, like, but again, the, the only thing that I can assume is that he is so panicked about how this is being perceived by people. Because I feel like it's pretty clear that fucking nobody's buying that the guy who who ran, you know, Operation Sovereign Borders, whose big mantra was stop the boats, who whose like entire rise to political prominence was fueled by being the guy who was most efficient at setting up our fucking offshore torture gulags to destroy the lives and minds of Muslim refugees. Could never have said anything like that. I've, I feel like fucking nobody's buying it, right? And uh, it seems like he knows that and wanted to make some kind of attempt to get out there and control the narrative. And that's not really how it went. No. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just taking like a, a cursory glance across like the hashtags for it on Twitter and like the just, you know, like, like we were saying before we uh, got on the show, Theo, that even even trying to get outside of our own sort of social media circles and look around, it does not seem as though his performance was well received by anybody. No, I mean I think at at best, apart from a few outliers which who have said you know, oh well he's been bullied, which is you know the the shittiest thing to say about a politician that goes on a and gets interviewed about shitty things that they've done. Uh, it's, you know that charitably it wasn't a disaster. It was just. Um, he, it it just went to show um, that he is an extremely weak-willed politician. Uh, he is not um, not showing the kind of uh, characteristics that we would expect from a prime minister. Uh, any kind of leader. Any kind of leader at all. Um, I will say up front: um, if you if you haven't seen the interview, uh, you don't have to because it sucks. Um, it doesn't suck because of Waleed. Waleed has done a tremendous sh- job. Um, I think, as as Andrew kind of um, 
kind of alluded to, um, it's not really a show that we watch uh, often because mostly it's boring. Um, but but Waleed Ali, I think, has done a sensational job in this interview in staying incredibly focused. And Scott Morrison has looked um, bizarrely unkempt, slouched in his sheet the uh, in his in his seat the entire time. Um, Trying to look nonplussed while also trying to look serious at the same time while not answering any question directed to him was not a great look. No, absolutely. It it just, it was an extremely petulant um, performance is what I would say about the, the kind of feel of the interview. But there are plenty of things, I think, in the interview materially that are very instructive in... I think understanding how the election is going to play out, and just just how we will see Scott Morrison in the public eye um, moving forward. Um, that um, you know, initially, um, where um, after we've finished the softball, you know, this is a tragedy sort of thing. Um, where Wiley has well, well, asked, it, it should be it should be noted that um, uh, that. Waleed's first question to him or his first statement or whatever was to say I don't normally do this but I'm going to let you set the that's right set the terms of this set the direction that you want this to go in and Scott Morrison like uh, after saying yes this is all a tragedy immediately launched into like a, a several minute long story about how he's such a great guy because he he went to a mosque afterwards and hugged some people. Yeah, and there's a lot of that in the interview. He finishes up with that. He injects that all the way through. And I think it's very important to contrast that, which is anecdotes versus any time where he's actually asked to take action as a prime minister, which Waleed uh, did repeatedly. Um, it's a real um, theme of the interview where Waleed has stayed absolutely laser-focused Um and Scott Morrison has has not. So initially, the, the first first question that he really asks him is, you know, that do we have a problem with Islamophobia? And Scott Morrison immediately deflects to say, well, it's bad when we have um, uh, w- when we judge anybody too quickly, right? He couldn't even off the bat. He immediately just both sides the entire thing. You know, it's bad when we've got any kind of any kind of phobia, and he sort of pushes that that through the whole thing and. At no point could we really get a bead on what the actual action is that the government is going to take um, to reduce Islamophobia. And in fact, Waleed asks multiple times, you know, what are you guys going to do as a government to, re- to reduce Islamophobia? And, and, and Scott Morrison says, you know, well, I will lead by example, right? Like an absolutely shitty boss that just like will not reprimand his employees, right? He's like, no, 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 no. Well, like, you know, you're so... You know, if if your people in the coalition come forward with um, with things that are considered Islamophobic, you know, what action are you going to take? It's like, well, I'm going to continue, uh, you know, on my track record to lead as a as a leader. So really, what he is saying is that he's going to do fucking nothing. There is there is absolutely no um, nothing being put in place to combat. Well, no, no commitment to anything other than to say, oh, I've already done all this stuff. I've already done it. Look at my look at my record. Not last week, but look at the other and that, record. Well, that was the, and that was the part of it that was so, incon- like, just, just even lacking in any sense of internal logic was this idea of when I came to Parliament, I came, because, because I come from 
because I, you know, uh, I'm a representative for Cronulla, which had the fucking race riots 10 years ago. Um, yeah, because because that's where I'm from, I came in concerned about this stuff and already looking to, you know, initiate measures to, to deal with all this sort of thing. And I've done that. And I've got a great relationship with the Muslim community and all this stuff. And I've done all this work. I've done a lot of photo opportunities. And... But and then there's you know Walid says, okay, here are a bunch of very specific examples of members of the party that you lead. So he goes through, he's ticking them all off. He's like, you've got George Christensen going on like Dingo Twitter podcasts. Um, you know, you've got members of your party going to reclaim Australia rallies. You've got Tony Abbott saying Islamophobia never killed anybody. You've got, like, and, and he just goes through and ticks off all of these extremely specific, concrete examples of evidence of members of his own party saying things which very clearly demonstrate either Islamophobia or an attempt to stoke Islamophobia in the community. And says... Does the problem does the does your party have a problem with Islamophobia? And he says, "Oh, I don't." Lots of people I, I, have I, different opinions in the Liberal Party. Mm, it's says, a it's says, a broad church, and I says, love church. I don't I don't I don't think the party has a problem with it. He says, <laughs> and like he's he's not even able to say no to that. But he can't address any of those things by saying, like he can't obviously can't bring himself to say. Yeah, I agree that that sounds pretty bad when you read it all out like that. He goes on to say, I'm going to lead by example. So, he started off with, as soon as I came into government, I, w- I was here pursuing improving this as a thing. His explanation for the reports of him raising, uh, you know, anti-Muslim attitudes in the community uh, in a shadow cabinet meeting was to say, yeah, I was concerned about it and wanted to do something about it. That's why I raised it. So he's saying that, you know, he, he's been super concerned about this and acting on it the whole time. Um, also, here's all of these concrete examples of this fucking abhorrent behavior displayed by your own party. And then to cap it off, he will fix it by leading by example, which he's already been doing and will continue to do, which, as we can see, is having a tremendous effect. So it just doesn't even, doesn't even come remotely close to stacking up. Um, and then he basically just spends the whole interview just getting slowly, like, getting more and more shrill. His voice gets higher and higher. Um, and he basically just abandons the pretext of, like, the pretense of answering any questions because he's far too busy trying to reframe and rephrase all of Walid Ali's questions into something unrelated, which he can then also not answer. Yeah, and I think the perfect example of that and to lead on from, you know, hey, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to lead by example is that, um, you know, Wiley point blank said, well, look, we've got um, the One one Nation Party, right, who has said um, that Islam is a disease and it should be vaccinated against, um, sort of ironic considering... um, Pauline Hansen's views on vaccinations. Um, but, you know, this... Um, we In the wake of what has occurred, um, will you be preferencing one nation? 
over other parties. And he's like, so initially he says, well, you know, well, what if Fraser Running's running? Like, obviously trying to, you know, eke out some sort of semantic argument. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, um, you know, just be serious about this. Will you will you preference One Nation? So, well, we will. We have never and we will never do preference deals with One Nation. Again, that's not the question. Um, if we can narrow it, will you preference One Nation over Labour or the Greens? And he's, well, you know, I can't. Well, this is a party decision. We're going, going to do, do, do. And there is no point at which, even if it is a party decision, which as people have pointed out, um, you know, it is very much a captain's pick much of the time. Uh, if you're well, going to take a stand on something, take a stand on something. But he couldn't even extend it to saying, I don't think we should, right? Like, I don't think we should be preferencing One Nation above above the Greens. Um, well, yeah, it, when, when, um, when, he's, when Waleed's asked him this several times, several times he said, Will you preference them last? And he said, oh, that's a party decision. That's a party decision. That's completely ignoring um, the several instances within the last, say, two months where Scott Morrison has personally intervened to stop one of his mates from from getting knocked out of pre-selection in one of the seats. He's, like, personally intervened to make sure that, like, fucking... Who's that fat-necked motherfucker, um... His name is not coming to mind. But yeah, so... And there was also the... the Oh, who's who's the guy that they put in in that seat? The... Welcome to Bonte Vista, the podcast the where we try podcast and remember names. Can't, can't remember anyone's names. Anyway, I will uh, drop that because... Greg. Peter. Greg. Good old Greg. Mm. Um, but yeah, multiple George multiple Nightingale. Instances, multiple instances in the last couple of months where... His he and his own office have personally intervened to overturn the results of local branches of the Liberal Party pre-selecting their own representatives um, in order to keep people in who are factionally loyal to him. Except when it comes to preferencing One Nation, that's a party decision that he can't make any kind of declaration about. Yeah, but it doesn't um, even seem like if you're talking about, you know, spending all this time about leading but by wh- example. While he says, do you have a view on it? Yes. Do you even have an opinion on it? And he says, oh, well, you know, that's a thing that I'll discuss with them um, when, when that all comes up. I won't, be, I won't be working it all out on your show. And again, it's like, so, so he's going to be leading by example. He's going to be leading by doing the right thing and with his actions and his words. But he's also not willing to actually have an opinion publicly about this thing. That's right. Well, because, I mean, I think... He's afraid of what that opinion is, to be perfectly honest. That I, I don't think that he is he is ready to accept um how his how his views um on on his priorities, his political priorities, are being stacked up in the public eye because it's not going well. Well, and this is this is the area in which I think that they have well and truly just painted themselves into this corner where you could see like I thought the thing that was most apparent through this whole interview was that what he was really trying to do was was get out in front of this thing and control the narrative somehow. Um, I think that you could really see that in the way that he was constantly trying to uh, rephrase questions that he was being asked. He was trying to reframe things into a context that, that suited him better. 
I think the Waleed Ali did a very, very good job of not letting him do that in a lot of cases by repeatedly saying as he tried to, you know, as he tried to reframe a question and then answer that one, saying, that's not the question I asked. That's not what I asked. And, uh, like, the, the problem is, though, when you've spent the last 10 to 20 years um, dog whistling and, in some cases, just straight up, you know, dog foghorning um, racism to your to your base like who was this intended to please was was he meant to get out there and and like was he meant to get out there and rile up the the conservative right-wing base by saying oh actually i love muslims and lots of them are my mates and i went to mosques and i hugged them and we should all respect each other Hmm. But we should also leave room for other people's opinions, which may, you know, include up to uh, all sorts of things. So, who's to say, you know? Yeah, I just just don't don't understand at all who it was for or any of that shit. I think it's gone very badly for him and it it genuinely seems like he's very, very, very conscious of that at this point. And the whole thing's, I guess, very interesting to me. It just genuinely makes me wonder if if we could suddenly just be hitting a point with like political journalists in this country where a lot of people are starting to say, is this worth, is it worth having easy access to someone if I have to help mainstream this kind of shit? And um, o- and honestly, like I think if we can take one thing away from, you know, this interview, for example, is that we should be doing more things like this, right? Like the, the things that we should... Um, We've seen, like, like you were kind of alluding to, where where the coalition has tried to walk this very fine line of pleasing, not not pissing off their right base, you know, but not being, uh, you know, necessarily uh, exactingly xenophobic, but uh, you know, somewhere somewhere right in the middle, and it's given them enough room to work with just base just about basically anything, right? You can make enough room uh, with that to make any kind of argument as long as it's politically expedient. And what we what we need is to eliminate that room. I think we need to we need to be having these kinds of um of long form interviews and, and conversations um where they are not allowed to kind of just move on from the question um until those things are clear, right? Or until it's clear that they don't actually have a plan or a view a view for this right and i would i would highly i um you know i wouldn't want to see bill shorten get away with this either i would love to see him sat down and grilled in the same fashion um as i would love to see it continue into into the future because i think the australian media should be waking up in a number of of um ways and one of those ways should be that we have been effectively letting them get away with um you know, carving out their own conversation um, for, like you said, journalistic access to be able to be in the room so that we can't ask a question. And and I think that the best example of that to me um, from that interview of that kind of thing was that um, I think, you know, Waleed had asked several times, like repeatedly asked whether it was about the the One Nation thing or the does your party have a problem with Islamophobia? Because he, he tried to reframe that question several times and say, look, when you hear, when I aggregate all these things for you and you hear all these statements, 
does that you know do, do you think that there is something within your own party that there is Islamophobia within your own party that needs to be confronted and he was unable to get a straight answer from him he was unable to get him to directly address the fact that these were comments and actions that had been taken by people in his own party and had not been condemned or acted on in any way and after just you know getting kind of nothing from him for however long um you know he said uh like morrison has said something along the lines of well you know i've i've answered your question or whatever and well he's like well no you haven't <laughs> really and he said well i have you know and that's the answer and well he said well yeah I'm, I'm happy to let people i think people will come to their own conclusions you know, people will come to their own conclusions about this. And I think that was the most effective way of making the point of like, you haven't really said anything about this. I've given you a bunch of opportunities and what you have chosen to say also makes a statement. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be really interested to see how this specific stuff plays out. I know that, I know, like you were saying earlier, Ben, um, obviously this is, the, the main thing that should be people's concern is the the victims of this thing and and the survivors as well but we also kind of i i think i think one of the worst things for australia to do at this point would be to turn away from the fact that we have obviously been creating this pressure cooker environment in our society for a long time that has created this kind of person and is going to continue to create this kind of person. Um, and I'm just desperately hoping that, uh, you know, that this kind of stuff continues. A lot of these people get the pressure put on them. I would just love to see media organizations start to maybe make some different choices about whether or not this kind of shit that they're running is, is worth the money, really. But in, with regards to the, the whole human part of this... Um, uh, ben, I understand you went to you went to a memorial in Brisbane. Yeah, uh, so on last Sunday, which will be, I guess, two Sundays ago when you're listening to this, or whenever you're listening to this, let's not oh, have let's that not get into the dates every single time. Uh, this was the Sunday that after the shooting, uh, the Islamic College of Brisbane held a sort of like an open prayer service thing that ended up turning into like a a huge sort of a thing with the premier giving an address and the bloody chief of police or or whatever and but then outside of that uh there were a few imams gave a, a few speeches they did a, a few different things there and george and i sort of went to this you know partly out of the sort of born of two desires really is that i had been a fucking mess that entire weekend and you know obviously it kind of goes without saying that i am completely detached from this right this hmm. this didn't happen in australia I, I don't really know anything about christchurch i don't really know that many new zealanders i don't know many muslims i am not muslim this is nothing that's it's personal to me in any way and even with that i just after following the coverage all day on Friday and then reading the updates, I I think, and a lot of people did, just felt a very sort of listless and useless grief that you can't really do anything with. You know, I, there's not like there are people around me that needed to be comforted. 
or or things that I could do, you know, outside of donating to charity. Uh, it it didn't really. It felt like a useless emotion, but it was it was very pervasive, and uh, you know. So I, George and I saw that the service was being held, and it was really yeah. Two things is that we wanted, I guess, some sort of closure, not not closure, but I guess just a way to experience the grief. Uh, in a way that meant something, I guess, in this like communal sort of way. And also because Muslims in Australia are largely super alienated from the rest of the community, largely because the, the, the atmosphere that we live in and we thought this is something tangible that we can do is we can just be there. And the, the turnout ended up being huge. There's this massive... So the Islamic College of Brisbane is huge. The hall they held it in was unbelievable and like we got there pretty early the traffic was backed up in like every direction even then uh, we got there and there were still some seats of the hundreds of seats in there that were empty and we were like ah, I don't know we might stand up the back until you know let people that are maybe more connected to this or elderly people or, or what have you kind of sit down the front and then it gets close to the starting time and it keeps filling up and it keeps filling up and it keeps filling up until they have to open another room and then just play the audio in there and then that room fills up and then there are just people standing outside because there's nowhere else to go thousands and thousands of people went to this and it was it was just you know it's i don't think often in my life i experience good moments of humanity you know we're all quite isolated we're all pretty cynical people. Good things don't tend to happen in like big ways where you kind of get a feel for how good human nature can be. Uh, and just having this big, very, you know, there's so many different kinds of people there. I cried my fucking eyes out at so many different points uh, that there was a point in the ceremony where one by one they called up... Uh, all these different faith leaders from a bunch of different religions to hold a short prayer you know they had uh different sects of islam jewish leaders catholic leaders protestant leaders hindu leaders everything it just kept going until there were just you know like two or three dozen people up on the stage and seeing something like that fucking brought me to tears and i'm not someone that's super enthusiastic or about religion normally uh and uh they had um a maori group perform a haka which that fucking destroyed me i had this really weird moment standing right at the back of the hall where you know just before they start they sort of invite anyone familiar with the haka to join in and i am standing uh just it was just a weird moment i'm standing up the back there is a guy to my left who is clearly an orthodox jew there is uh these two young girls in front of me uh it's a gay couple one of them is maori uh i'm watching a woman in hijab uh a couple of rows ahead of me completely by herself middle-aged muslim woman who is just putting everything into this haka as well completely alone everyone around her standing completely still 
I can hear my, my friend Ash, who is a New Zealander, who was there with us, is uh, a couple of people over from me. She's joining in as well. And it's just this really beautiful, emotional moment. Um, and I, I think there is something like, you know, I, I'm not going to fucking say wishy-washy shit about how we're focusing on the negatives and not the positives, but there is something positive that can be done here and I think there are so many opportunities now if you're in Australia or New Zealand or I guess anywhere where you are to genuinely connect with the Muslim community around you because they are so open to that you know a, a weird thing I found trying to compile a list of uh, mosques and Islamic centers around Australia that were doing sort of open days coming up and that sort of thing is that even the ones that didn't have ones planned for the near future because of Christchurch, this is something sort of baked into being a Muslim in Australia is that so many of like the Islamic Society of Brisbane or New South Wales or Victoria, they have these things just always on the website saying, hey, if you would just like to meet a Muslim, let us know come in and talk to us and so many of them specifically have things that are about uh not uh, confronting questions about terrorism and that sort of thing there's a, a thing that muslims down under does that they call um the question islam events where it's basically about they frame it as in answering the tough questions or the Islam under the spotlight where they will basically do community events where a bunch of people will just grill a representative of the community about these, these fears and misapprehensions that they have. You know, this is something that they have to do all the time. And it's and like, fucking... and for that, for that context, that's not a thing like to my knowledge, that's not a thing that any other religion uh, in Australia is doing or is seemingly forced to do. No, no, not at all. And this this is the sort of pressure that they're under always. And, you know, it's it's so easy to feel fucking useless right now because I guess in a lot of ways we are because this isn't about us and you can donate to charity, which I think you should if you can, but there is something really profoundly beautiful you can do is just be a fucking human being and form connections with people uh, in your local community. You know, there, there's, depending on where you live in Australia, there is probably a mosque, if not in your suburb, around. Uh, it's worth checking if they're doing anything after Christchurch. Uh, if they're not, a lot of them will be holding open days in October, which is, there's a day, I'm not sure which day, but I'm, you can Google it, which is, they have a national mosque open day in Australia. I think it might be global even. Uh, Muslims Down Under provide a, they do a thing called Coffee in Islam where you can just go to the website and you make a meeting to have a cup of coffee, their shout, with someone from the Muslim community near you. And, you know, they say it's about learning more about Muslim or it's about just meeting someone new. The phrasing that they use is if you simply want to meet other awesome dinky die Aussies and make new friends, right? This is something that is so tangible that is a benefit to everyone involved in this process uh, that is something really, really good that can come from this. 
uh, yeah, I just, it, it's just been such a quagmire of shit. And I, yeah, this is something permanent that can happen, which is, you know, something that maybe we should have been doing all along. But yeah, I just, I think this is something, something good that can be done. Well, yeah, I, you know, me and Eleanor went to a rally here in Canberra. We just went to like a, a, I think the Refugee Action Committee just put together a rally, just like a, an anti-racism solidarity rally. And we went down to that and it looked like, I don't know, not great with the old crowd numbers, but hundreds or a couple of thousand people turn out for this thing um and they had you know very very similar they had a whole bunch of speakers from different faiths and representatives from the muslim community and you know the speakers were good i mean while we were just sort of waiting for it to start um a couple of a couple of girls um who i think were from the university just came over and asked if they could ask us a couple of questions they were just like taking photos for like some assignment and doing interviews and stuff and and they asked like so you know why did you come here today and we were like the the big obvious reason um and and we said you know it's it really is just a situation where you kind of you just don't know what to do and i said yeah for us it's just it was it's just important to to be um you know to just to just come down and be visible in that sense because when something like that is organized with the express purpose of of showing um you know showing them the muslim community in your town that they have support um to just be seen to just go and and you know show people that you're there and like uh, you know and i also said i, I wanted my kids to to be there as well i wanted my kids to see um you know the community coming together for something like that i wanted i want i want to model that behavior for my kids of supporting you know people in their community who need it as well um and you know the the speakers are really good and something that i really appreciated i mean was um that several of the speakers said uh you know as part of their part of their addresses a lot of them focused on on this idea of the question that they get asked all the time which is what can i do you know what what can you actually do to help um and one lady whose name i cannot recall because i'm doing great with the names in this episode um you know she she said like this this is at a point now where like people can't keep not doing anything um you know, she, she said it's just kind of, it's at that point of not doing anything is is picking a side. You know, we're at that point now where not like, see, you know, seeing seeing racism in public and not doing anything about it, you, you're picking a side. And the side you're picking is that that's good enough for you, apparently. And so, you know, her advice was write to write to your local politicians and say i can't support this kind of this kind of dog whistling anymore this this fear mongering write to your tv stations and say 
why are you giving platforms to these people? I can't watch this shit anymore until you do this. You know, say something to your racist uncle at the dinner table. Um, just, just that idea of stop, stop thinking about a thing being fucked up and actually talk to someone about it. Actually, you, you gotta call the shit out when you see that. And even if you're doing it in the form that we were discussing right back at the start of the show, which is telling someone to shut the fuck up and we don't have a place for that here, then do that. But that's kind of where we're at. Now we've uh, gone a bit long on this one, and it's not exactly the funniest subject in the world. No. I know, yeah. no. I know that we are kind of the last podcast in the world that should be maybe the ones discussing this, and the last people in the world. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's kind of impossible not to talk about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, the, the the lens through which we usually look at things is, you know, the Australian political landscape and media commentators. And I think that there are a lot of very real questions being asked about what part people who stoke these attitudes and, and the fear and xenophobia have in this kind of event. And... Yeah, personally, I think that the, the, the reaction of how severe the reaction from right-wing commentators has been of very, very loudly protesting that, that, you know, they are personally being blamed for this thing. I think it's really telling. I think the, the extent to which these commentators are freaking out about being associated with this is telling. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. I hope that I hope that this is, I mean, you know, maybe I'm being naive, but I genuinely hope that this is just the the start of a genuine groundswell of, of feeling in this country that people have had enough of this shit, that they're just, they're just ready for something else. So, you know, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for us this week. Um... If you found this episode too heavy, um, pop on over to the bonus episode where you'll find about uh, an hour of talking about Andrew putting his uh, feet in a toilet, uh, mm-hmm. and then um, that's getting posted on Instagram and people are jacking off to it. So, yep. Yep. Um, if that sounds like something you want to be a part of. If that sounds a little a little more lighthearted, um, we're also taking questions from our listeners about... Uh, uh, Bigfoots and uh, which which alien movie is the worst? A lot of really important topics over there too. Mm-hmm. It's so, Alien Resurrection, by the way. It sucks. <laughs> With we it's can not, all agree. It's not a good movie. Um, so that is patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista. Um, hop on over there, even if you would just like to support the show. Um, we appreciate it. Or if you don't uh, want to, you don't, don't have to do worry that about it. it. Hmm? Yeah, that's yeah. that is absolutely fine. Yeah, that's fine too. Uh, thanks for sticking around, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Maybe maybe with something nicer to talk about. I plan I to do one joke next week, so... Oof. I can't wait for it. I, I quite enjoy your jokes, so oh, I will be yeah. on tender hooks waiting for that Hey, joke. get off those hooks. Oh, it <laughs> sounds like that could hurt. What is this? No Hellraiser? <sighs> haven't watched it. I'd love to come around and watch yeah, it. Yeah, come over and watch it. We've only been talking about it for about 12 months, so... God damn. Fair enough. When's uni break? 
Oh, I'll look that up. All right. See you next week. We'll everybody. sort this out. We will. Bye. Bye. Bye.